This is Guru Live from BAFTA. I'm Rihanna Dillon. Luminosity was one of the most beautiful games of 2015, winning the BAFTA for artistic achievement. In this masterclass, the co-creators from Camberwell, Catherine Bidwell and Luke Whitaker, tell us how they created their handmade puzzle adventure. Hello. Thank you everyone for coming this morning. It's a Saturday morning and it's great to have so many of you here to come and listen to our making of Luminosity. So just to introduce us, we're this is Luke and I'm Catherine and we, um, we're co-founders of a company called State of Play um, based in South London. Um, we've been going since 2008. So just to give, us, give you a bit of background about how we got to Luminosity, I'm just going to go through what we do and how, how we came to do it. So we self-publish our games and all include handmade elements in some way, combining real world with digital. So we kind of, we didn't just stumble into this, you know, we didn't sort of consciously say, oh, we love handmade stuff, let's just, that's going to be our thing. All through our um, development of the company and development of of us as individuals, we've always been really comfortable with a sketchbook and and pen, and that's that's really come through in our early work. Um, This is an animation we did um, nearly 10 years ago now, isn't it? in Sierra Leone for uh, raise awareness of, um, of of AIDS, and we used um, technique of rotoscoping where we filmed real people, real actors acting out a scene, um, and then took this footage into um, software such as Flash and um, created the animation in this way. And it just became a really um, natural way for us to work like this. You know, we, we with this one we used watercolors, we used textures, we liked. We loved digital work, but we also, you know, wanted to bring it to life. When we were doing animations, we were also making games. Um, we started off doing client work for companies such as um, um, Miniclip and MTV and BBC. Um, and one of the first games we kind of self-published with someone else was a game called Headspin Storybook. This... Um, this came out was one of the first iPad games back in 2010. And again, we, we were always trying to get this 3D world um, sort of conveyed. Um, you know, here we, we drew pictures, scanned them in, and um, created a lot of depth, you know, from, from this technique. Um, so moving on from this, this, this launched in 2010 on the iPad, and this whole digital download and mobile gaming was really something we, we felt we were really interested in, and we could, we could do something with this. Um, but our main passion was we had a love of story and a love of puzzle adventure games. We were brought up playing games such as Day of the Tentacle, um, Monkey Island, and there was just something in this that we thought we could do something with this. So this became the prequel to um, Luminous City, a game called Loom. Um, just show you a quick screenshot here. Um, I'm, I'm going to... I'll just show you a few screenshots, and then I'm going to talk about how we made this, how we, how we did this. So creating the style of Loom, again, we had this background of this kind of, like, layered scene, I guess. Um, and we... We kind of played around lots with, um, you know, um, drawing things for real, scanning them in, making shadows come to life. And I think there was a real moment, um, this is all just concept I- ideas for Loom, and there was a real moment where we did this. We actually made a scene um, 
for real and put an angle poise light, you know, against it. And we were like, but look, we've got all those shadows and we haven't had to do a weird 3D render and, you know, doesn't this look beautiful? Is there something we could do with this? And again, just played more with paper and card and drawing and scanning. And um, we had a real moment of there could be something in this. We didn't know what it was. And I think that's the most, um, you know, that's the most creative time. We were still just, you know, while we were making the client work, we were kind of playing with this idea. Um, and I think the light bulb moment was this... Um, this short, short animation, we made this sort of really rough cardboard city, as you can see, and we just had our digital SLR and, and, and took a quick um, shot of um, sort of going across the city and animated this character that was to become Lumi in it. And um, we just kind yeah, of... It took about 20 minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was just like a cold, wet Tuesday. We were like, we just do it really quickly and just experiment with the technology and the skills we had available to us mm. and um it was we really kind of had a moment of like maybe we could do this i guess um, that was the moment where yeah it was like well if that only took 20 minutes then yeah the rest is easy we just build more stuff right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. everyone we, needs how little we delusion. knew <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> you've got to start optimistic right because i suppose we were at that moment when we'd seen that and we were optimistic yeah we could do something wonderful with this um, but before we embarked on on actually doing it, we kind of had to ask ourselves why, uh, why, because when when we did calculate it, we were like, okay, this is going to take at least a year to do, um, and at the end of like three years, we were kind of more like thinking, God, like why? It was more like why? Oh, why <laughs> did we bother doing this kind of thing? And. The reasons, like a lot of these, are almost like rationalising after the the event. But this is these are the things that we innately felt about making a game in this way. Um, that making things by hand breaks down that wall um, between uh, the intention and the final thing. So basically, th there's no the technology isn't in the way. Um, in other words, you're getting a more immediate and truer representation of your idea. Um, and what I mean to say is. Uh, as a viewer, you can more easily see that intention. Uh, that is, the work feels more human. And I mean, it's got soul. And these are the kind of things that we really care about. We care about communicating our ideas as effectively as possible. And, and making something like this basically meant that we could have that idea. We could build it in front of us. And that's what you're seeing when you, when you play the game. So it's not filtered. It's not like um, a, a sterile 3D environment where, you know, you come across, um, yeah, any 3D tool, you've got to put all the, the personality into it. We could just do that with our hands. Um, and if we wanted to tell a story, what better way to do that um, than make our communication between each other the best and most fluid it could be? Um, and so, yeah, like I said, I wasn't aware of this at the time. Um, it, you know, you do things just with a bit of a hunch. Uh, and it was also because, yeah, we like making stuff. That's, that comes into it as well. This isn't um, purely just about communication and stuff. This is, it was going to be fun, right? And it sounded impossible as well, which is always a nice challenge. You go, could this be done? Yeah, we can do that. That would be cool. Um, and that seemed like fun. Um, and it's just worth like mentioning this point for one thing. Like, um, it did sound impossible, and the tools weren't really there to do it. We, we were using... 
almost like a legacy, uh, legacy feature of Flash, which is that it can play video on the timeline. And people use it occasionally for like tracing, like rotoscoping or you know, doing, um, I don't know, the odd bit of reference stuff. But we were actually going to try and make a whole game out of this. Um, and this is what we really, we, you know, we took from it. And we don't really preach that this is the way you should make games or anything. But this, I think, is um, a worthwhile thing to bear in mind, that the idea should always rule the tools, not the other way around. So don't open up your software and go, right, what can this software allow me to do? Like, think of what excites you and what the idea is first, and then find a way to do it. Because we hacked all sorts of things to make LuminoCity happen. We, it's, it's about four different technologies all blended together. And um, yeah, so, and, but it works out. If you, if you care about it enough, you'll find a way. So do you want to carry on and yeah. talk about so, this? Um, so yeah, we start, so Loom was our like, well, we've kind of had this idea with the cardboard and everything. We were like, wow, massive city and, you know, characters running around, that's great. But at the same time, we knew the limitations. We were going into a market that we knew nothing about. You know, we'd always had done client work before then. Um, again, we were pushing technology to its limits and we just really weren't sure whether it was going to work. And even if it did work, would anyone want to want to buy it or play it or anything so this was the original grand idea um for for loom um but once realizing all those factors we thought well let's just let's make a small game let's keep it small and concise and let's see if we can do it um we basically just made so, that house yeah, didn't so we? loom effectively um you know was just your house it was it was one house with numerous puzzles in um and again, we then once we knew we were we you know the technique we wanted to do we we then um, we then you know played lots with different characters, different ideas, really research. You know, architecture has been a real passion for us, um, and to to be able to get that passion into a game was brilliant for us. And we just kind of really played with what could this space look like that that Grandad occupied. Um, so you can see we took we took ideas from here and worked worked out what they could be. So there's like solar panels on the roof, and actually that middle um, sketch it really didn't stray too far away from that, did we? Which one, the triangular one? Yeah, the yeah, triangle that, up the hill. It basically became more and more modernist, partly because yeah we liked that <laughs> that idea, but partly because then it's easier to make. Yeah, <laughs> we were like yeah we can make a triangle. Yeah. We didn't, you know, jump straight into it. We did lots of research and just try and make the game we wanted to make and not worry too much about whether it was possible or not. So building the model, lots of sort of late nights, um, paper and glue, and just, again, we loved this process. And we were testing ourselves and testing the materials and, you know, we'd print something out and be like, that's not right. And, and you know, we needed a light in the buildings and thought, what about... Doll's house lights, weren't we? And and sort of hacked them into it. But compared to Lumino City, this was sort of small fry, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The principles are the same. It yeah. was still done with UV glue. And all the way through this, we were learning. So this was this was our intention. Loom was like a learning process. Filming the model. So we made this model. We were like, great. And we just happened to be um, best friends with a BBC cameraman. Um, who films, goes to the Antarctic and films wildlife. And we were like, yeah, can you come and film her? You well, know, we went to him. 
Yeah, we that's went his to mum's him. front that's room. That's literally his mum's front room. That <laughs> um, so There's yeah, no and you know, he was like, "What? What do you want to do?" But he's you know a great mate, and he he saw it as a challenge, and and we were all sort of going, "We're not sure if it's going to work, but let's try it." But luckily, it did. And as I was saying, we didn't. We were going into a market we knew nothing about. We hadn't done. We hadn't self-published before. We hadn't done digital downloads before. Um, so we just we just sort of you know we we put it out there and just thought what's what's going to happen. Um, released on Steam first, and then released on iOS um, later on. Um, luckily for us, it did um, come together, and, it, and financially, it meant that we could carry on making you know a game like this. Um, we was lucky enough to win some awards and be um, nominated for quite a few awards and um we were really proud of it and it really sort of was a turning point in state of play for like okay we know what we're doing we could we can carry on doing this um so if that is the size of um loom that's about um meter and a half yeah meter and a half by meter and a half we managed to get it in a suitcase to take it to um tokyo game show um so yeah you could see that it was definitely you know, portable and, and manageable. Um, so then once we were like, yeah, we can make Luminosity, we went that size. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we were like, yeah, we can do We know what we're doing. Um, so now we're going to get to the section where we're going to talk about Luminosity, Anna. Yeah, over to cool. Yeah, so this is Luminosity, and this is how we started designing the city. Um, we went back to our original drawing and it was interesting still and we um we don't we don't hate it it still had a lot of the ideas that we wanted to do but we'd actually progressed beyond that point now and we i was like oh it just looks a bit like a column now it's a bit like straight up and down that's not interesting enough and so spent a while just experimenting with things and like pulling it in different directions and wanted to create something more iconic that if you saw it in silhouette from the side it would be like you it would be iconic and you remember it and just a more interesting space. And we knew now that we could pull a character through the space wherever we wanted. So um, it started to look more and more like this. Um, and when I was working on these sketches and when we were talking about ideas together, we came across this bit of work. I spotted it in a, a cafe. Uh, and it was, I went up close and I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? That looks just <laughs> like what I was doing here. And I mean, it it's uses the same kind of ideas. It's all, but it's a tower that is, there's all sorts of uh, renewable technologies in it. There's cable cars, there's a solar oven, which is even in exactly the same place midway up uh, on the left-hand side that I'd put it as well. And there was no way she could Rain catches. She seen it. No, no, no. It's like, this, yeah. it's been working on it like before us as well, I think. This was, so it turned out that this was like the show of um, a graduate. This was her final degree project. Uh, she's called Katrina Stewart, and she was an architecture graduate. And I was like, this is too weird, right, I have to get in touch. And so got in touch and met up, and it, just, it was just too good not to work together. Um, it was a great time for her. She just graduated, and she was free to sort of experiment with the ideas. And architecture courses are brilliant. I mean, they're, in terms of games design as well, like... Uh, working with architecture students is great because, um, I mean, she, she'd come up with all these ideas. There's no way in the real world she could have built that, but in a game, we could go and build something like this and we could actually work on these ideas and make these come to reality. So we spent about two months 
uh, just throwing ideas around probably in sketchbook. Month, yeah, yeah, probably three months. Just not like we knew we had a, just basically enough to pay our wages for a little bit. We were a little bit. We could say, right, if we want this to be good, we'll we'll give ourselves the luxury of not putting pressure on a, a deadline to provide the big idea. And so I went off to like uh, the Royal Academy, I think, where they were doing a constructivist exhibition, and this is sketches of um, a textile factory, and it was just a really good, fun time for inspiration and drawing out ideas into what we really could make them without rushing it. Uh, and we'd throw ideas around. So I, uh, that's one of my sketches for a windmill that was going to be on the top. And then this is Katrina's sketch where she'd fill it in with colour and put some of her ideas in it too. Um, it just went through like that for, um, for a long time. We've got sketchbooks full of this stuff. Um, Nothing was out of the question, was it? No. That was... So mold, you go back to the mould, <coughs> taking the mould for a walk. The, that. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That was, it had a little idea. Like, this is where it's great working with someone else like she just this is a game that in um in the final thing it's about directing light through the light well to light up all the little rooms and yeah she just written a sign saying with someone out walking the mall that that became a poster that was in in one of the rooms as well so yeah there are all these lovely sketches that actually now we look at them actually this was really early but it became and what was lovely about working with katrina who's who's completely out of the game design industry she, um, you know, she just, she, I don't even know whether she played a game, to be honest. <laughs> but it just meant that, you know, she didn't come with any, like, predetermined, well, a game needs to look like this. And it, it really freed us up, and it freed her up. You know, she could learn from us about game design, and we could learn from her and just be like, you know, she'd be like, well, why can't you just walk through that space? And we were like, mm. yeah, why, does, why do they have to go in a yeah. line through a through a, um, a building why not go up through the window mm. and you know so it was it was nice because she didn't come with any you know any ways you know she hadn't seen a game she hadn't played a game she hadn't seen a game so mm. it, it was really but freeing for the whole the process best, yeah the best thing is that like if you're an architect you also think of what it's like to imagine what a space is to be in and how you mm. move through it and how it's aspirational or exciting and all that kind of stuff so they're games and experience designers really so she had a lot a good intuition for it all. Yeah. So that was what it ended up. This was um, all our tiny little sketches we turned into. I think we cut these out and put blue tack on the back. And then we were just working out where everything was going to fit uh, in the whole city. That was like our blueprint, I suppose, in the end. Um, but before we could make any of this, like we, ca- we thought, well, we can't just go and build a model. What? That's... It's, it's like jumping the gun. So what we wanted to do was build a wireframe first, and we just wanted to use Flash and make it as simply as possible just to prove that these ideas will work, and Kat's going to take us through yeah. how we'd make a wireframe. Um, so, yeah, so the importance of making a wireframe, the idea must be proven before model-making, because once we started on these models, we couldn't really change anything particularly easy or it'd be very time-consuming to do it. Um, so we just got back to really basic prototyping, um, here's here's a scene where you have to like um, get the power working to um, to move the crane, um, and we literally mapped out the whole game like this, just black and white, really simple flash um, flash prototype. Didn't get too hung up on graphics or anything. And um, you can play Luminous City like this though on yeah, a hard disk. Play. Well, if you if you had access to my hard disk, there's a version, yeah. whole version of Luminous City that looks like this. Yeah, yeah. 
And so getting testers into the studio and get them to test this just, just answered so many questions for us. Um, and it was a really worthwhile um, process. And um, as you can see, it didn't, the, it didn't um, actually change that much from the final look. So that's that scene um, completely in the finished game. And it just meant that we, we answered all that positioning um, problems with this wireframe that literally, you know, we, it was two years till we actually did this final scene. So it was answering questions, you know, throughout the um, development of Lumino City. So um, it was a really great process for us, and I'd really recommend doing that if you were for any game, really. It's a really good technique to use. Um, so I'm just going to go through a model from start to finish. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to talk about the gatehouse. The gatehouse is the first scene you come to in Lumino City. So it was unbeknown to us at the time, but it was a really important scene. You know, it kind of set the set the sort of standard for the rest of the game. Um, and obviously, we wanted to impress people, give people a great first impression. So this was initially the first Katrina's first sketch um, of the gatehouse. Um, a great, uh, you know, fantastic detailed sketch of of um, what what it could be. You know, at that point we were calling it Loomfield, which was a bit, yeah, a bit random, but mm-hmm. <laughs> more American than we were going for. Yeah, um, but was another technique that Katrina introduced was doing three D um, cardboard sketching, um, and she could make this as quickly as we could draw a picture. You know. She was just like, oh, just quickly make a model. And we were like, yeah, it's not going to be quick. She was like, no, trust me, da-da-da, like origami. Um, and we again, we used, you know, we took pictures of everything. We used um, used our SLR to take a picture. And what this does, which a sketch couldn't, is to see, you know, there was important things in this scene that we had to make sure we could see. It had to make sure that the gate, the gate was seen. The exit at the back by the Hoover box. I don't know why there's a Hoover box there. Um, <laughs> you know, can you? You know, if you took a picture of the of it, can you see it? Can Lumi? Can Lumi be seen in the in the left hand side? So, all of doing these really quick sketches were, were was a brilliant way to answer lots of questions. We then got a concept um, visual artist just to do a few concepts of how this could look. Because, again, you could probably see from before, we weren't really thinking about colours and and textures, and we actually just wanted someone to come in and be like, OK, what, what colours would we use? And This was pretty much the only bit of concept art that we did, though, in a way. Like, it, it was the most yeah. gamey that we got, or the most sort of... the closest to a d- traditional, traditional process. Yeah. Um, because, in the end, we found that, you know, our... Sketchbook was the best thing to yeah. go to. After we'd answered all these questions, yeah. then we just knew the language. And I think also, because the gatehouse was obviously the first scene, but also the first, first model we'd, um, we worked on. So we actually you know, put a lot of processes in place. But by the time we were doing the 30th model, we were just going you know, from A to B. But I feel like we needed to have this process to be able to you know, answer all our, all our future kind of scenes again we you know played with textures on you know this is a prototype model this answers like what does paper what do watercolors look like on it what does acrylic look like on it what if we printed out paper and stuck that around it you know um what do the trees look like so this was again a really um 
important technique for us. And it was great to work with some really talented model makers to make this happen. Um, so this is us starting the final model. Um, you can see, you know, there's various different techniques um, applied to it. We then, for the lights, we use doll's house lights and um, rig them into our laser cut letters. I'll talk a bit more about laser cut cutting later on. Um, that gives you an idea of the scale we were using. Um, this is a great one of all the lights on and working and wires hidden, which is that's another massive um, part of Luminary City hiding wires and marks and stuff. Um, yeah, I think there's an image coming up of how many wires are just yeah, involved. Yeah, yeah. Just like, I think I cut through about 10 of them. Oh, them yeah, because they're well. so thin. Yeah. It's like, it's like breathe, and they're like, oh, they're yeah. broken. <laughs> so, and then that's how um, it looks like in the in the final in the final game. So, we're really proud of this scene and all the things we wanted to convey. It 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 got across and looked even better once we filmed it than we could ever imagine. So, um, in reduction in scale plus increase in scope meant we chose new techniques. Um, so as I mentioned before, laser cutting, this was really a huge part of our um, development. And because with Loom, we'd worked on a bigger scale, we just couldn't work, you know, working to such a small scale would have been really hard without laser cutting. Um, again, this is it, um, sort of as, as it is in an Illustrator file. And Katrina, again, an architect, introduced this to us. Um, this is when they come off the bed. We realised we should have labelled stuff. Yeah, so we basically... It's the biggest jigsaw puzzle ever, but with no instructions and nothing makes sense. So we were like, why did we need a circle bit here? You know, there yeah. was a reason. A bit like when you put something together from Ikea, you've always got something left over. Yeah, there was always something... We've literally got, draw, like, three or four drawers full of yeah. spare laser-cutting bits. And anyone that's done laser-cutting, it's not a cheap techniques we were like we didn't yeah what are we going to do with these but they'll just end up in other games i'm sure just random stick somewhere mm -hmm. um but what was great about um working to doing laser cutting and you know working you know having to work to this scale and using the precision of laser cutting it meant things like that pulley actually works you know it's tiny but it can actually spin and be a functional item in the game um which you know helped us out so much with sort of animation and and things further along in the project so um we also use small motors um this is um one of the scenes with a light um it's a lighthouse a light well lighthouse windmill yeah yeah light mill we call light it. mill yeah, yeah that's it um so as the blades turn, it creates the lights on, it creates a Morse code um, for you to use and decipher and, and yeah. Well, I think the, we were thinking, when we looked, uh, we were thinking, how can we make those sails go round? The game was, we, you were supposed to, like, do Morse code with that. Yeah. And we thought, oh, we're going to do stop motion, but that means involving moving it in yeah, bit by bit. And, it, and also so. that, we wanted to use the in-camera effects as much as possible so, to get, some nice motion blur yeah. and that kind of thing. And we thought we were going to have to spend... We were thinking about, like, pulleys and everything. Like, low-geared motors are quite expensive. You see them in, like, displays in Fortnum and Mason and stuff, turning things very slowly, and they're, they're quite expensive. But then we realised what we could do is just 
get a microwave motor. <laughs> from Amazon. £2.50 <laughs> from Amazon. Yeah. It's brilliant. And, um, and it just span at the correct... Just as well, yeah. yeah. The only thing is, is we didn't notice until after we'd started filming, that when you turn it off and then turn it back on again, it rotates the other direction. <laughs> so we ended up with this footage and go, are you running it in reverse or something? Yeah, you just had to pull it out and yeah, put it back in again. Like, we didn't realise, yeah. So it cooks it properly yeah. or something. Anyway. But this is... Um, so you can see what we mean by this is how... Um, that looks in the final, the final game. Um, so you can see it just the right, you know, and to, if we did this stop, you know, we do use, we'll talk a bit about stop motion later on, but, you know, just the smoothness of that um, was, was really useful, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so an, another quick one about big motors. Luckily, where we work, there's set designers, um, that literally work below us and you know everyone in the kind of complex knew that we were making this crazy game made out of stuff um and we wanted this big water wheel to spin it wasn't all done with motors and stuff we tried to do that as much as possible there was one scene where we really couldn't work out any other way to do it um and it was a scene that was inspired by this place which is called Kowloon City um, it was called Kowloon City because it's not there anymore. It was an amazing place that existed between Hong Kong and China in this kind of no man's land where there was no jurisdiction. Uh, I mean, it, uh, basically, it was a sh like a shantytown, but a vertical shantytown. And people would just build skyscrapers on top of skyscrapers, and it was amazing. Uh, there were no building regulations. They had their own sort of informal police that, uh, and massive crime gangs in there and stuff. But it made for an incredibly... Um, beautiful somehow place um, at least in, in many photographs there are sort of visual um, books about it yeah visual records of this thing before they demolished it in about 1985 um, and we thought it'd be we could we saw this and we were like it would be wonderful to be there and it started to turn into this idea of oh this could be an amazing place to jump around and what if those things could actually move in and out and because all, all the scenes have something some sort of um, idea about using nature or renewable energy in some way, and this and the idea was well, people are sharing their sunlight by if when you live in the apartment block, one person has has it this time, one person has it this time, and we developed this into an idea where yeah, we made all these little apartment blocks and we wanted to make them move in and out, and we built it right down to the little socks, little booties on the railings, um, and this is it coming together, but even almost almost at this stage, maybe a little bit before, we were still not sure how we were going to make these things come in and out. We were like, okay, so that's a lot of motors or something, or is it a crank that's got cams on it that makes them all come in and out at different times? Um, this is me just doing another wireframe. Like, I had to properly wireframe this up, and I, I came up with this idea of... This is where we use stop motion of basically taking those frames from my wireframe... So I had frames, whatever, was it 1 to 80 or something like that? And I took those numbers off. I can't even remember how I did it now. It's, it's insane. You look back and go, how, why? How, how did I do this? Um, put these on the back where the camera wouldn't see it. So, and basically, I'd move each one, each one of them had one of these. And I'd move each one to frame one, take a photograph. I'd move each one to frame two, take a photograph, etc., etc. Um, and trusting that I got all my maths right and everything, eventually it would all work, and that's me actually sticking them on the back uh, on the set. Uh, that's how the game looked, 
and when they actually start to move in and out, it was alive. It worked. Um, it was a magic moment because I'd never done stop motion before and then you, know, you end up with all these still frames. You don't know what's going to happen and, and there was no quick way of previewing it. And so the next day when this just came alive in front of us, it was another, it was another wow moment basically. So um, I'm all for not knowing what you're doing, by the way, when you're doing stuff. It keeps things exciting and uh, there were a lot of times throughout this process where not knowing what we were doing made it more fun. I mean, I don't mean like literally not knowing which way around to put your pencil or anything, but like not like having the confidence that you'll find a way of doing something is really important. Um, we also use metalwork as well. Uh, and this was something that was, it was quite close to my heart really, because my dad is a silversmith. Um, and he makes jewellery and he made, he's, uh, we always used to make stuff when I, was, when I was little. I would be making bows and arrows with him in his workshop and stuff like that. And um, we'd always be making little metal things. And this was a, uh, this was a good opportunity to go back and, do, and use all his skills and, and do something together. Uh, and this is us uh, making a, uh, a 1950s diner out of aluminium. You can't get this kind of feeling in 3D programs, you can't, you can't even throw a PS4 or like 10 PS4s at stuff and get the same kind of warmth and, and feeling that, you, that doing that stuff by hand gives you. Um, so in a way that's kind of low tech stuff or like traditional technology, but we also used as modern technology as we could get our hands on and we use motion control cameras as well. So you saw our friend Tom doing it all by hand, and that, but, but that was something manageable. And then we thought, well, wait a minute, this is taller than us. We can't expect him to, what are we gonna do, get him on a ladder, like swing him with ropes? We do, I, I don't know. <laughs> he was already a bit annoyed about the first one. <laughs> we couldn't ask him to do too much more. And so we thought, right, okay, we've got, I, I, I wanna see like wonderful swooping shots through this. I wanna see up, I wanna be awed by this space. The only way we can control this and make this happen is using motion control cameras. And so this is what we used. Um, and this is not usual equipment for an indie game, you know, like this is still all self-funded and these things cost two and a half thousand pounds per day to rent. So if you're James Cameron, it's fine. I mean, you have it in your house serving your tea or something. But like for us, we were like, we, we were like, how, how much? <laughs> yeah, seriously, it comes with its own operator and everything. Like, um, we just thought, right, okay, that gives us one day to do it. That was all we had in the budget. Uh, so we saved up. And we said, right, this is the day. We've got to build this set. We've got to know everything back to front. Yeah. Um, and we did. We had basically, we had a long storyboard of the entire game that way. And then we had um, depth as well. So because it was interactive and we'd be moving in and opening and closing doors and different things would be happening at certain scenes, yeah, you'd want various different versions of, of things going on. So that gave us tons of footage basically which is great but it's linear and it's not interactive and we then had to go and do something with that um, we ended up with all these rushes um, and we had to do we had to make that interactive so the crane is a good example of how we take that footage and we and we'd pull it apart and we make something happen with it so that's the still I think Kath showed, Kath showed you a moving version of that um, yeah and that's with, with the little characters in um, and that is created by basically taking that still into Photoshop, 
splitting it up into all the different uh, elements that we'd want moving and then importing that into the Flash timeline. And there's a lot of animation that goes on there, a lot of kind of traditional animation. Um, but as long as we, you know, we knew what we wanted to achieve and so we, the camera wasn't suddenly going to zoom off in different directions and break the perspective or anything. Um, again, it's one though where we had no real idea of how we do the reflection. We were like, okay, yeah, I'm sure we can put a dome in there and stuff. And, um, but of course you want it to look photorealistic and there was another kind of eureka moment when we realised we could take a spherical reflection or you know, a copy of that, that scene, put it over our, our dome and with the physics basically rotate that reflection the, the exact opposite direction of the physics. So basically times by minus one and you've got this wonderful reflection that stayed in exactly the right position on there. Um, the characters as well, that was, that was the main, that was probably the hardest thing about this whole job because we had, we basically came back with, was it, it's an eight hour game or something. So mm -hmm. we've got an eight hour film yeah. to animate because all, all the characters were done on the timeline like this and every single position that the character could be uh, was hand animated like this. Um, it was efficient in one way in that, you know, made sure that it was all split up into different elements. And these were these were photographs of, of um, real physical things too. Um, but it, she had to always be, yeah, walking on, on anything. You didn't want her feet sliding and so, it was basically one job where I was always, I was zooming in and looking at her feet and when the camera moved, just making tiny little adjustments. It's all a bit of a pain. And so we started using motion tracking where we could, uh, which is in After Effects where basically, yeah, you can say, right, track this pixel, keep track of that pixel and tell me where it is and give, you, give me the maths. Um, and Dan, our developer, worked out a great way of actually just giving us that information back into Flash. Um, and you can see how it works here. We could track these red dots, for example. So when our little character decides to jump on, does she decide to jump on there? Will she? Yeah, she should do. Eventually. Um, yeah, she should jump on there. You can see that she stays in, in position and that was like, oh, thank God, I don't have to actually yeah. animate every single frame of that. Um, so yeah, there was tons of work going on there, but it's worth going off on a bit of a random tangent that you might have got a sneak peek of there. Um, because the, this was like deep into production time. We were like, okay, we started what, a year and a half ago and we planned it to be a year. Now it's a year and a half, we're running out of money. And um, we basically had to do something else to get some money and to complete this game. And this is how our game Kami came about. We'd taken to just taking a day off as well. Like there was a ton of production work doing on this. And we, um, just for a change of scene, um, the developer Dan and I got off to Google Campus, which is basically a free office in London where you can go and you can, yeah, just, you can sit and work all day. It's got great internet. And we work on, uh, you know, tw I think it's a Google idea, the 20% time where you, work on whatever you want for one day of the week. And we worked on this thing, which was just a little puzzle idea that we thought would be great, uh, where you fold out paper and try and fill the screen in as few moves as possible. Again, it's making physical stuff, so we, we were having fun with that too. Um, and 
yeah, it was it was this little iOS title, and there was an amazing moment that happened for us. We because we were looking for funding for yeah finishing funds basically for Lumino City, um, and we were in touch with an investor who was all prepared to stump up the money to finish it, and we sent him this um, just before he signed. We said we're working on this little idea, and he said, "I'm not going to sign this." I tell you what, just release this game, and I think this will be good enough to finish the game for you. you. You should make your money back through this. I think it's good enough. And it was the best piece of advice we'd ever been given, really, because a, a, a nasty investor, if he'd have seen a good game, would have said, yeah, I'll sign that, and I'll sign this one as well, at like a cut price deal or something. But he didn't. He didn't sign any. He said, no, you want to be independent. This is what you, you should do. And so it was, yeah, self-published, and it went on. You can see he got um, editor's choice and funded... In the end, we think almost the entire budget of Lumino City now. Um, mm. So that did that did really well um, for us. So back onto Lumino yeah. City. Kath's so going to talk I'll about the whole you process. Back in, yeah. But um, so yeah, we've talked a lot about Lumino City, how we made it, but just sort of summing summing up really. Um, so the cons. Um, it takes three years, and actually, it's four years if you include the iOS. Um, launch because that took a further year um to do um as you probably gathered every scene needs bespoke treatment you know we thought when we were developing it we might be able to like recycle um animations and things like that but we we hadn't been you know we hadn't thought about oh if we make every ladder the same she'll walk up the ladder in the same way it was uh every ladder is completely different so there's no real sort of ladder cycle we could use it was Yep we're, yep, we're animating an eight-hour movie, <laughs> yep. effectively. Um, had to memorise the entire game for one day's filming. You know, I've never known anything um, to be storyboarded as well as Lumino City shoot day was. It was, um, it was crazy, you know, the pressure on that day was pretty, you know, intense because all the footage we took on that day, we had to use onwards you know for the next two years um the the camera operator who came with the um with the motion control camera he's used to doing one shot a day and how many shots did we ask him to do 150 at least 150 i mean there were small shots but you know it was um it was like right next one next one next one you know and also can you not like wipe out our model with this big motion so this massive arm. arm you know it could get millimeters to the gatehouse you know, zoom right in and then stop because it was obviously all programmed to stop. But your your heart was like, <gasps> you know, couldn't really relax. Um, again, this sort of same thing. You can't change anything after you filmed it. We were we had this footage and we were using it for two or three years. If there was a door in the wrong place, then it's tough. It's in the wrong place. Like the character's going to have to, um, you know, move around it. But luckily, all that pre-planning meant that didn't that didn't happen too much. Um, you might get a scalpel in your foot. This was really close one day. Um, we all kind of held our breaths. Um, a dog might try and eat your game. I think that's that's the only time that can be used. Um, and this was nearly happened. We were walking um, all the models to the TV studio, and this dog took an interest in one of the um, in one of the models, and we had to had to quickly tell it to to pee off. Um, <laughs> So, um, but yeah, so I've talked a lot about what the cons, but actually we're, you know, we're 
really really proud of it um it it you know i'm going to show you a bit more but you know it went on to not only be a success on steam and on ios um and it won us a BAFTA last year for artistic achievement which um you know for a team core team of four winning a BAFTA it's life-changing moment and um we will always be amazed and grateful for that. And it's so, for a project that, you know, people use the term a labour of love really, like, easily, but for Lumino City, we, we were at times where we didn't think we could finish it. Could we finish it? Putting our life savings onto the game. And for someone like BAFTA to recognise that and appreciate that, it, it's, it's amazing, and we will always be extremely proud of that. Um, so we launched... Um, on iOS and as you can see we've through this presentation and through what we've put online there's a hell of a lot of making of Lumino City footage out there and the first thing people talk to us about with Lumino City is how did you make it so we decided to um to make an app actually a, a sister app that's free for anyone that's playing Lumino City or even if you're not playing Lumino City and you're just interested um you know you can it's an interactive app that you can take control you can move the camera around you can and it's just a more in-depth um way of finding out about the scenes that you're playing and it's been it's been great for us and it's a great resource to point people to um and you know even things like the, the you know we haven't even really touched about the music but um you know partner, partnering with a great band from Brighton who were able to bring their talents to to the soundtrack of Lumino City and and really you know became a great friend and great collaborator that we're now working with lots on um and in this app you can you know play with the music do different things um work out how it all came together um and play the tracks and download the tracks and then we're going to talk about something completely different and talk about the next project we're working on. So yeah. Luke. Well, it does kind of relate to Luminosity because yeah. th so this this is like a little sneak preview of a game that's actually coming out this week. Um, it's another one that's in the vein of Kami. So we've only spent five six months on this one. This game's called Inks, uh, and it's all based around some something that grew out of. Lumino City, and in Lumino City, in that diner that I built with my dad, there's a pinball table, and we built a real pinball table for it. And um, yeah, it's got you know pins with little but you know, bumpers with real lights in it and stuff. And we just we loved that so much. We thought, and there's something in this. And so, I don't know. We just ended up playing pinball games. We like yeah. we go. To, there's a local arcade bar where we are called the Four Quarters in Peckham, and um, yeah, it's got arcade machines in there. And we go there and we play play pinball and um, two of the guys that we work with Dan and Stefan started to go I think there's, the, there's a Google Friday in this there's something we want to experiment with and this is what we've, um, we've been working on we've now uh, we've made a pinball game but it's not like any other pinball game you've got hundreds of tables um, and you splat ink around the table so the idea is to these are all ink pouches and, you, and you've got to hit them with the ball uh, and you create your own, I don't know, piece of art, I suppose, with the ball that's flying around, and uh, it tells the story of your your game too. Um, this has been a, a a really good, fun project. There has been no sort of like tons of animation going on with it. We've we've indulged ourselves with it and gone, wouldn't it be cool if? And Dan has done some incredible work with these 
inks that are you know, constantly spreading and moving. Um, we announced this at so, uh, Somerset House recently at the London Games Festival, uh, and for that we actually built a real pinball table for it. We can't not do handmade no. something. <laughs> there to be something. There has to be something being made by from wood at some point in our studio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. something taking up too much space. That's yeah. what we like, uh, and something that's a bit insane and almost goes horribly wrong. It, it arrived basically. It arrived back from the cutters without the whole cut for the screen. Uh, this is like like two days before it's supposed to be shown and revealed to the public. And so, again, our, the props department downstairs were the great saviors there. They, they, they had the tools to make it, to do it well enough that it looked like it had mm. been cut by machine. Um, and, yeah, uh, I've got it's the trailer for you. Thursday. It's coming out on Thursday, so look out for it on the App Store. Here we go. Lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. So cool. I think we've got a few minutes for questions, yeah. if anyone's got any questions. Uh, it's, a, it's a twofer. Um, so the first one, and I definitely saw it in that second one there. So there's like this real feel of like kids shows from the 80s and 90s and seeing like <laughs> um, Sesame Street and things like that. Mm -hmm. If you could cite a couple of references of your favourite kind of stuff like that and what inspired you. Yeah. And the other question I have was the difference between Loom and Lumino City was that hand camera. Do you think... Mm. Did you manage to capture the kind of like handheld camera in Lumino City? Was it something that you'd like to keep or get back to without the giant mechanical arm mm. involved? Good point. Okay, so inspirations first. Um, um, Tony Hart, if anyone's um, <laughs> old enough to remember him. Um, yeah, pretty much, you know, um, was with me throughout my childhood. And, you know, he had these amazing books like Make It Yourself, you know. And, and so, yeah, huge, you know, morph and, and all that is um, yeah. childhood influence i guess so yeah like wallace and gromit is one i guess um i'm not sure like it came from so it many all different seeps places in so many different ways and we you it know it's strange sort of saying post and pat but it's probably in there somewhere yeah you know, like. it's kind of like hearty british animation you know hand animations <laughs> like even stuff like super ted was you know it, it the crazy sort of the how good their, the they animation didn't know what they was. were doing yeah they didn't know that. what they were doing and it so took like way too long to make an episode of super ted it never actually made any money and stuff but There's something like he-man was sort of production role. yeah, yeah, like yeah. They would so when you go back and look at them you can just see how good the animation actually was so um, I think we like. I, I think it's more like the ethos. It's not like yeah, yeah postman yeah. Pat wasn't an inspiration. Oh, we've got to put a postman in it, and he's got to have a cat. And it's it's more like that. Uh, the look and the sort of I get, there is a Britishness of the the sort of slightly uh, rundown is not the right word, but you know what I mean. The sort of, I suppose it's authenticity. I suppose is yeah. what we're after. Um, and and giving things character in that in that way. So, so we leave all the rough edges on it, and we don't, you know, even you know, it's, I suppose it relates to Ardman as well, who made Wallace and Gromit, and then went and started doing things um, in 3D. They had that flushed away with DreamWorks, and it wasn't quite the same, you know. It, the edges had been taken off, and it didn't have the soul. Uh, and I think they realised it, and then went back to what they did best. Mm. Um, they even said with Chicken Run, which did really well, they're not that pleased with the the look of it they they spent ages trying to rub off all the um fingerprints on it because they were scared of um you know pixar and dreamworks and all these these computer generated things they were like what's our place we're gonna have to compete and so they tried to make it look like that then realized they lost something in the process um 
So, yeah. What about the handheld? The handheld thing. It sort of ties in with the handheld thing, I suppose, because that was part of the charm in the first one, that it was quite shaky cam and stuff. And I was worried about losing that. Um, but I don't think we did. I think I, think I was over-worried about that. I it doesn't look it doesn't look overly slick or anything. It um, in a way it helped us capture more of the detail in the whole mm. thing, and there was enough of roughness and uh, reality in in yeah. that 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 didn't really. And with matter. the models, you know, we made sure there was like, you know, pe brush marks were kept and you know mistakes and and it wasn't. Were you adding mistakes? No, not adding <laughs> mistakes. I didn't mean mistakes. Um, I mean like. You know, so it was, the edges weren't smoothed out, basically. You know, if, the, mm. if there was a glue mark there, it was kept in. Yeah. So, yeah. And in a way, it just added and it took it to another level using that. Just that r amount of technology gave it that sheen, gave it that, you know, if perhaps if we'd done that by hand, that particular scene might have been a bit shakier and blurrier or something. I don't know. It just, it seemed to elevate the whole thing and make it feel right. Mm-hmm. Hi there. Um, it's practically a trope in adventure games at this point that they can have shaky puzzle logic mm. uh, where you know, you'll be, have to hand someone a random lemon and then they'll yeah. do something for you. Um, or you'll find an item in a completely random place where you couldn't have predicted it. Um, do you feel that you avoided that or that you made any mistakes with it? Um. I think we, we really tried to avoid that. And we, being Puzzle Adventure players, we we've know exactly what you mean, where it's like, why is that there? Why um, do you have to put the hamster in the blender in yeah, the past? Yeah, yeah. In the, yeah. We've um, got, so so with, yeah. with Luminosity, all the puzzles have got elements of logic to them. You know, there is a puzzle where you have to use lemons to power something. But actually, that was based on science that you can actually use lemons to power stuff. So we we kind of we played with it but we were aware of not just yeah you know you have to find a spanner but it's next to a bike that you know in a shed you know things like that we wanted these all to be quite practical yeah puzzles in a way you do you learn you're learning binary and how to do punch cards at one point in it you like everything is about powering things up and yeah we'll take liberty so we'll say yeah you can power up a house with 12 lemons whereas it would take 1200 but um yeah all the principles were kind of sound and based on yeah katrina's work on renewable energy resources and things like that mm. so i mean yeah we some were hard like that particular puzzle there there's a puzzle where you've got to get the uh it's a maths puzzle, a maths puzzle uh, in that to a special unlock one and i suppose you can argue yeah why why not just use a key or there but then that would just be a boring key puzzle again like um Everything had to be slightly tilted, but that was very difficult, that yeah. one, I think. We were um, aware of getting the balance right between, hey, this is a fun game, and it's, does this make sense, you know? So we were kind mm. of played with the... That one we actually balanced afterwards, so the PC version was harder than the iOS version. We're, like, there were three rings to move in the PC version. We locked one of them in the... Yeah, um, made it slightly easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just on the financing side... Have you had any of your games certified as British? Sorry? Have you certified had any of your games British. certified as British? Is that the correct... Um, for tax relief? Not officially. Um, are we doing the tax, tax, tax relief? Yeah, we are. Mm. Yeah, we're we're doing that. City, yeah. Have you done any more? Have you done any yet? We're in the process of doing it. Yeah. Mm, for the next one. Uh, hi. hi. Um, 
how do you go about advertising your games? And is there a different strategy for a slightly bigger scale game like Lumino City as opposed to Inks, for example? We, um, we're, again, as a small company and, and a small um, marketing <laughs> advertising budget, you know, we did try lots of different things. What's worked best for us is going to lots of events and showing the game um, and talking to people about it. Um, we did we did do some paid for advertising on a couple of sites, but it was completely useless for it. The click through rate wasn't awful. Didn't I can work tell you us. how much it costs. It cost two thousand pounds, I think. And we hardly got anything back. And we got sixty clicks, and that's just a click. That's not even a buy. So, it, yeah, I'd be wary of if you're if anyone comes to you and says we've got advertising space, it's a great bargain for this price only at this time. Um, don't do it. Well, <laughs> it's- can't I, say that like I think with that kind of, authority, no, I, but um, I think with that kind of advertising, though, I think you have to almost do a takeover of a huge space. Like you yeah, see, yeah. Call of Duty. I think it was released when we were at the Paris, uh, Paris Game Show, and they'd taken over the subway, down the metro system. Every single poster was was like that, and that will work, but that will have cost them, you know, <laughs> I don't know, millions, millions. So there are other better ways yeah, to do it. Yeah, for when us, small. it. We don't, yeah. We did, and with Lumino City, we did actually, you know, we did that advertising because we were like, we, you know, we obviously knew how important it was um, to launch it in the, you know, and people know about it. But um, it's, you know, so we did just try everything and, and and sort of risk that that it wouldn't work. But it, yeah, it just didn't work for us. So things like events, awards <sighs> are really good. Like the independent games press, you know, smaller awards been great for us, and obviously. We won the BAFTA before we launched on iOS, so it was a great kind of marketing push mm. for us. Um, but we're an indie company, so there's only so much advertising we can do, and it doesn't work for every game. So the best for best effort and the best thing way that we've thought about marketing, I suppose, is if you put that amount of effort into the game and make it something special and noticeable. That is your marketing. Yeah. So it's um, having a game that. It, is different and gets noticed is, has been the best way of doing it. Cool. Um, okay, cool, yeah. Um, so I've got two questions. Um, the first one is, um, you guys, so you, you guys make, are model makers. Um, mm-hmm. Where did that kind of start from, first of all? Where did the model making start? I guess that was from being a kid, you know. Oh. There's, there's something in that game that satisfies each of the stages yeah. of our lives, I suppose, like from making models as a kid to the architecture sort of theoretical thing that, you know, I'd, I'd studied that a bit at yeah. university and stuff. So, um, but yeah, way back, it's just that, that joy of it, Lego and stuff like that. You know, it, it, this was one of those, you don't, you don't, I don't think you lose that stuff. You just sort of add to it in your yeah. life and why not go back to it? We don't, there's no need to reject all this stuff and look for only, you know, the new. And I think as well, thing. you know, we said like starting way back with both of us are much more confident like working with our hands and drawing and things like that you know um so i think that was a natural extension and also with the model making we got you know we got some specialist model makers in who also taught us new techniques and we 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 both learned from that as Mm. well didn't we so it was great to sort of get expertise in where we needed it and um and also help us make better models collaboration is great it's just it brings out the best in you. you. If you have like half an idea of what you're doing and then someone comes along with a great idea, it, I don't know. It just you off, the other half. <laughs> yeah, or it takes you to a new place. Yeah, that yeah, that yeah. blends with what their half is. They didn't know what your half is and suddenly you've got something new. And 
uh, you just sort of find yourself stepping up yeah. like this. And I think it's... That was the lovely thing about Luminosity. It felt mm. like everyone was just working on the, you know, just about what they could do. But then we were all sort of like, you know, it, we all became better at everything because yeah. we were all learning from each other. So it was great. So um, then well, going on to like the level design, um, how did you guys, how did you guys learn to, you know, blend the model making into the level design, you thought to architecture? Is there yeah. any inspiration you took from the architecture that helped with actually the level design of the environment? And I guess so. Um, it's tricky. Like, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is architecture. They were, what we wanted to do actually is, um, with Loom, the puzzles were more sort of, independent of the architecture like yeah there was a solar panel and stuff but they weren't necessarily that linked you'd have a, a map to solve that was on a table or and you'd have we did it wasn't too bad you had to build a bike you had to pull apart yeah, yeah. a bike and build a wind turbine or something but um we wanted to do that even more we wanted the architecture to almost be the puzzle in mm. luminous city so there is a, there is a point where you're rotating a house. a house to yeah. you know well rotating the bandstand to oh, yeah. to make that work and rotating rotating the whole house and all that kind of stuff we wanted it, to feel sort of, um, in many cases, uh, what is it, sort of continuous and not, uh, the boundaries between puzzle and, and the world were, you know, weren't strong, they were, they flowed. No, we got time for one more? The oh, hello. Oh, Mike's there, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, if you was going to make another um, city, what would the city look like? <laughs> and if you was going to have different like, character designs instead of humans, would you do animals, would you go futuristic... Mm. What would you do? That's tricky. Oh, brainstorm, a bit of a brainstorm yeah. my next game right here. I think would you incorporate Peckham into it? Because I, I know you did the, that game with Peckham in it. Would you incorporate like inner city London more into it? Or? Oh, yeah. I don't know, really. Yeah, I, I, mean, always, I always joke I was... throughout making Luminate City, I was like, I just want to do a really dark horror game but, next. But, you, <laughs> but I hate horror, everything about horror. horror film. I was like, yeah, I just want to do it. Um, <laughs> I think it was just getting to... Credibility. Um, to, yeah, but no, I can't. Can't really. You know, I don't really know. It's like I think. I think architecture is always going to be, you know, a interest in us, and it will always be. You know, we really like like Scandinavian design and things like that. I don't know about characters. It's almost yeah. Yeah, um, just don't know. Just no. really don't know yet. I mean, yeah. There is a, there is a game that we're working on that um, we can't say anything about yet. No, it's the one. Yeah, it's annoying. It's, um, it's not yeah, be, uh, sorry, this is the last thing you want to hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think probably in six months we'll be able to yeah, announce yeah, yeah. some stuff. And um, yeah, there's really a bit of architecture involved. And it's, it's really early development. Really early so. development. It won't, it, it's not going to be based around luminosity, I can say yeah. that. But we, but we will go back probably to this idea sometime. All done then. All right then. I think that's Thank up. you. That's time up. Thanks. That was Catherine Bidwell and Luke Whittaker of State of Play Games. For more behind-the-game masterclass content, why not try our games mini masterclasses with BAFTA nominees? Just head to bafta.org forward slash guru.